Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Great to see you, Jubilee Church. Uh, thank you so much for your amazing welcome. We have felt at home, we have felt we're part of family. Uh, you guys are people of massive generosity of heart. Do you know that? It's a gift, it's wonderful. Maybe all, everyone from the USA is like that. I don't know, this is my first time to America. But you guys are like that and, and we have just appreciated that so much. And uh, thank you to Brian uh, just for, for your hospitality and love. And yes, I'm very tall. I didn't used to be tall, but I grew up near a power station and I'm now very tall. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for the privilege of, of coming to you this morning together. It's just so good. I'm thinking of the psalmist who says, I rejoiced when they said, let's go to the house of God. It's so good to be together. It's good to have brothers and sisters from different nations and cultures. It's great to remind we're caught up in your global purposes. God, you're a God of the nations. And today we are just celebrating. We're part of your body across the world. And as we come to your word, we pray that it would be living and active inside us, as indeed it is. The, word, the Bible is the word of God that's powerful. It's, it's transformative. It brings life. And that's what we want this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So we're going to be looking at John chapter 4 together. This is a fantastic story. If you are a Christian and have been for a while, or if you've been around church for a while, this may be a very familiar story for you, but maybe that's not your experience. Maybe you're here this morning because someone invited you, or you just felt like, I need to go to church this morning. And you came in and like, this is all new. If that's you, you are so welcome. You're so welcome. It's great that you're here. And this story will be super relevant for you, as indeed it is for, for everyone else. <clears throat> John chapter 4, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it wasn't Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now we had to go through Samaria. Hey, let's just pause there just a moment. He had to go through Samaria. This is interesting. And it's interesting historically and it's interesting theologically. Historically, this is interesting because this would be unusual that a Jew, a teacher, a rabbi would go from Judea to Galilee through Samaria. Most strict Jews would go around Samaria, even though it added on about a marathon. That's 26 miles. Am I right? Is it the marathon 26 miles? So even though it added on 26 miles, sorry, we work in kilometers, which is what we'll be working on on heaven. So I'm just trying to be con <laughs> contextual to you guys. You're still a little bit behind us in the rest of the world. Um, <clears throat> so like they would add on a marathon distance to go around Samaria rather than through Samaria. Why on 
earth would you do that? I mean, at a time when people traveled not by car or airplane, they traveled basically on foot, although if you had a bit of money, you might have a donkey who aren't exactly the Ferraris of the ancient world. Or if you were very, very wealthy and influential or you were Roman, a Roman soldier, you might have a horse. But basically for people, that's walking. Why on earth would you add a marathon distance to a direction that could take you there much le- in much quicker time? And the answer is because of people who lived in Samaria called Samaritans. Now, Jews at this time would have looked down on Samaritans to such an extent that, as I say, strict Jews would take the roundabout route. Samaritans were a people group who were mixed with Jews. They were Gentile, which means non-Jewish people who uh, who had intermarried and connected with some Jewish people. Jewish people who'd chosen to do that with Samaritan people. And so for strict Jews, this was, this was the people of God who'd chosen to intermarry and mix with local people. That, that was very, very offensive to them. No, we are, we're a separate people. We're called to be separate and holy and follow the ways of God. And you've chosen not to do that. And so there was a sense of, man, you, are, you, you have defiled yourselves. There was a historical animosity between them because of this. So much so that uh, three, well, I'll give you a bit of a history of this. 300 years before this time, the Greeks who had come and controlled the whole region had controlled the Jews from Samaria. They'd like been based in Samaria controlling the Jews. So for the Jews, it's like, man, man you hosted our enemies. This is, not, this is not great. It doesn't do much in terms of winning friends and influencing people and, and building connections. You, you did this to us. So not just have you sold out, you, you have hosted our enemy. The Jews 130 years before this had gone to Samaria and destroyed their temple because the Samaritans had a temple on Mount Gerizim, whereas the Jews, for the Jews, the temple was in Jerusalem. That's sacrilege to build a temple somewhere else. And so they destroyed their temple, which, which again is not, not great in friendship building. And just a few years before Christ, a group of Samaritans had come to Jerusalem and, and on the eve of the Passover had scattered human bones around the temple area, meaning that the Jews could not celebrate Passover in the temple because it had been defiled by human bones. So there was this animosity for a Jew to eat with a Samaritan would be to defile yourself. To share, to share community would be to defile yourself. And as I said, for strict Jews, to even pass through the territory of, of Samaria would have been defiling. And yet Jesus wasn't scared of being defiled. Jesus didn't carry the prejudice of the people or the culture of his day. I wonder what prejudices we carry about people around us or people groups. And Jesus this morning just going, I don't think like that. I don't roll like that. That's not the way of the people of God. Jesus didn't care about people's prejudices, but it's interesting. It says he had to go through Samaria. And he's like, man, this is just quicker. Let's go this way. But, but there's something much more important than that. Jesus had an appointment that was very, very important. There was a meeting that was going to happen that was very important. It was hugely important for that person. It was important for that person's sphere of people who know her. And it's important for us 2,000 years later. Let's find out what happened. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. 
Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, there's a whole lot of important stuff happening here. There's a whole lot. We're just going to go through this story bit by bit, if that's okay. So don't think like, why is he keeping on interrupting the story? Like, I want us to go through this because I want us to, to take a journey together with what's going on here. It's about the middle of the day, which in this culture, in this geographical region is hot. It's hot. I'm originally from Africa, like Brian said. And, and in, in Botswana, sometimes in the middle of the day, you just don't go outside unless you have to because it's hot. And in this culture, women would have gone to the well together at the start of the day and at the end of the day to draw water. Why was this woman going to the well in the middle of the day? It doesn't tell us specifically, but later in the story, we kind of get an idea why. It's very likely she wouldn't have been welcome with the other women of the town at the start of the day and at the end of the day. And this was a moment where she could come by herself. I was, as I was preparing this message, I was just thinking... I think for, for many of us, COVID has been a time a little bit like this. As we've withdrawn uh, from connecting with others, it's been a time when we've, we've found anonymity and kind of self-protection. Does this kind of ring true for any of you? It's like the ability and, and the, the national necessity or the community necessity to withdraw has actually, in a sense, become a safe place for us because it's enabled us to be in a place where we haven't needed to face some stuff with others. And, and it's been like, okay, now I'm a bit safer. But there's a kind of safety which is a good God safety, and there's a kind of safety which is not a good safety, and I'm talking about the second that actually there's been a withdrawal of things because there's stuff going on and I don't want to have to face it with others and if I can just face it by myself, I'll be okay. This one, I'm just going to go in the middle of the day and I'm not going to need to worry about other stuff. We'll find out what some of that other stuff was later. But I wonder if that's a little bit of your reality so you look back on the last three years. Maybe it's stuff you carried into COVID. Maybe it's stuff during COVID you've just got kind of caught up in. Stuff maybe like we'll see with this woman that was very visible to people around her. Or maybe it's stuff that no one else knows about, but in the place of anonymity you've got caught up in. That it's like, nah, I, I just need this self-protection. I need to withdraw. So for some of you, maybe even being in church is a risky place to be. Because you're like, I just know I need to be there, but I don't want to be there because it's, there's, the potential of, there's the potential of pain. Jesus takes initiative with her. I love this. He makes the first move. Jesus doesn't just sit at the well and then look at her. Like, this is awkward. There's no one else around. It's just the two of us, but I'm not going to say anything. Jesus takes initiative. He reaches out to her. Jesus takes the first move. Do you know what? Jesus always takes the first move towards us. And even at moments where you go, no, I, I was seeking after him. I, and, and I found him like, because I was really seeking. In those moments, you suddenly realize I was seeking him because he's been seeking me from, from a long time back. 
He's been, this, this English poet wrote a, wrote a poem called The Hound of Heaven, comparing God to like this hound chasing him through life. And he's like, man, I, I keep on running away from him, but he's there. He's like, I can never get away from the goodness of God. I can never get away from this God who really cares about me. He really, he chases after me. Jesus takes the first move. He, he takes initiative. And I love this. He humbles himself to require something of this woman. Jesus could have sorted out his own drink. <laughs> he turned water into wine. He could have just gone like, okay, man, I'm thirsty, stones, and you're gonna become an ice cold glass of water. Can I have a bit of lemon, a bit of lemon? Like little umbrella, sit in the shower, I'm gonna create. He didn't do that. He was a woman that in the social the hierarchy would have been right down there. Jewish man, Samaritan woman. And he goes, hey, I need your help. Could you help me, please? Can you please give me a, a, a drink of water? This is how God rolls. And I, it's amazing. It gives so much hope. Jesus, who in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. Oh, man. That's beautiful. God, thank you that you don't just sit on your high horse. You don't just kind of look down on us, but you, you come to us. Maybe some of us this morning is like, this is a moment for us. And Jesus doesn't just sit there. Well, he knows where to find me. She grew up in church. She knows where I am. She can come to me. Jesus goes, I'm coming to you. And I meet you at a place where actually Jesus is going, can you help me? Can you help me? Jesus is doing that. And this is, this is wonderful, not just in revealing who God is, but in helping us learn how to connect with people around us. Because I think for each one of us, God has put people in our lives that right now we think, I have no idea how to reach with that, connect with this person. Just our lives are so different and our worldviews and our experience and like, how do I connect with them? Do you know what? Here's a key. Humble yourself and ask them for something. That's super counterintuitive in our culture, isn't it? Because I would guess the U.S. is very similar to my culture where what is honored is self-sufficiency and lack of any need of dependency on anyone. Do you, are you dependent on someone? Oh, then you failed in some way. Are you self-sufficient? Oh, great. Well, you've succeeded in your life then. Jesus goes, and that's not how I think. Jesus was dependent on people at the start of his life and at the end of his life. Simon had to carry his cross. Dependency on others is not a bad thing. In fact, it's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. And so for, for him, being dependent on this, man, I need, can you give me a glass of water? It, it's beautiful. And so actually there's something about connecting with people around you, of building a bridge, which is about you humbling yourself before them. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's like she's going, why would you do, why would you do this? Don't you know who I am? And Jesus' answer is like, don't you know who I am? This is what he says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is going, I'm asking you for something very normal, very down to earth, very common experience of all people. Can I have a drink from you? But I'm giving you something that's not normal. It's something super normal, supernatural. I'm offering you a gift that is beyond your comprehension. 
We're talking about water, but I'm talking about something so much more profound, which water is helpful for because water satisfies our thirst, but I'm offering you something that will satisfy your spiritual thirst. She doesn't really get it, which is super encouraging because not many of us get stuff. Do you ever have this, like, maybe it's you this morning, you come into church and you go like, I don't really know what's going on here. Like, I don't really understand. And, and if that's you, that's brilliant. I mean, you are so welcome. Not all of us understand all things at all times. You are in good company. And if you're thinking like, hey, there's some stuff going on that these people all seem excited about and they seem to know what's going, they probably don't. <laughs> and if you think these people seem to have it all together and I'm here and I'm going, I don't have it all together, but these seem, if you turn to the right and the left, you will see people who've out you about 10 to one, okay? There's no kind of like, oh, these people are up here and I'm down here. No, man, we are all like, we are all just like this woman. Jesus is talking about, oh, I've got living water for you. And, and she, she goes, sir, this woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And where, where can I get this living water? Doesn't I mean, that sounds cool. Are you greater than our father Jacob who, gives us, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She, she's, she's still not getting it, but th this is so encouraging. Jesus is speaking about something which is so transformative. This well of water, the spring of water which wells up to internal life is at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. That in and of ourselves, we're dead in our sins. We're far away from God. We've rejected God. We've gone our own way. But Jesus makes us alive again. And then he puts inside us his very life. This is the spring of water welling up to eternal life that we get the life of God living in us. And it's a gift that we receive from him. It's not something that, that we do ourselves. We get the life of God in us and we live lives just constantly with this life of God welling up within us. And I can drink of it and I'm satisfied. I find my soul satisfaction in this. God's desire is that we would know the satisfaction that comes from him that can't be satisfied with other water that we try, try to drink. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of this in Jeremiah chapter two. In fact, God speaks through Jeremiah to his people going, well, one thing I've got against you here, that you have forsaken the, the spring of living water and you've dug out your own cisterns that are broken. They can't hold water. Uh, you, you've forsaken that which is of most importance, which is what I can give you, and you've tried to get it yourself from different places. And this is a big problem, but it's a problem you and I, naturally, we pursue. Naturally, we just think, no thanks God, I'll do it my own, my own way. And we, if I have this, I'll be satisfied. If I get that job, if I move to that place, if I get that relationship, if I have that baby, if I, if I can achieve this academically, if I can get the recognition of that person or that group of people, then I'll be okay. And you know what? It doesn't satisfy us. Even if we gain the whole world, we can lose our soul because it doesn't satisfy. And sometimes it's the grace of God that allows us to get what we've been longing for just to realize like, oh, this is not ultimate. This is not ultimate. 
God's desire is that we would have at the deepest part of who we are, the spring of living water, which goes, God, I'm satisfied in you. Oh my goodness, this is, God, every day his mercies are new every morning. They're welling up with him. His love is new every morning. His grace is new every morning. God, I'm satisfied in you. And, and when that's first in our hearts, when like the psalmist said, I've set the Lord always before me. God, I'm seeking you first. I'm putting you first. This is the most important thing in my life. Then when we begin, Begin to pray about things that are important to us. I'd love that job. Man, I really hope that comes through, that promotion. I'd, I'd love to get married. I'd love to have a baby. I'd love there to be, I'd love my, my child to start following you. I'd love, I'd, I'd love this to happen or that to happen. We go, those things are good. They, they can be, unless it's sinful, in which case don't ask God for it because that would be stupid. But if it's, if it's good, you can go, okay, God, I can pray for that. But I'm not praying for that in the sense of, unless I get this, my life is not okay. I'm going, God, I'm satisfied in you. I just love you so much. God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I love you. God, I'd really love to get married. I'd really love to, God. It's really like important to me. It's kind of, it feels like a big deal. But God, even if it doesn't happen, I'm okay, God, because I love you. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, I'd love to get that house. I'm not entitled to it. We don't deserve it. God, I've, I've got all that I need in you. I'm content. But God, you say ask, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask quite cheeky. I'd love it to look like this. I'd love, you know, you can, you can ask those kind of prayers. It's good to pray there. You can be bold with God, but make sure your boldness is rooted in the humility of God in you. I've got everything I need. And then sometimes, this has, been, this has been a reality which I've seen over and over again. Sometimes God holds things back until things find their right order in our hearts. Have you ever noticed that? Don't leave here going, right, okay, God, we're going to get things in right order, then you're, gonna, then you're going to give it to me because you owe me. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pray that. Definitely if, not, um, if I'm standing next to you, don't pray that. Don't pray that. Like, now I'm making light of it, but do you, hear, do you hear my heart in this? Because I believe it's the heart of God. If you'd ask, the gift of God is this well of living water welling up within us. God, I'm, I ne never need to thirst again. And these other things, I mean, I hope some of them work out. I hope all of them work out. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to step towards them, but I'm going to step towards them only after putting you first. And then in light of you being first, God, you will give everything I need when I need it. And you hear my prayers and you know the desires of my heart, but God, I have you. God, I have you. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. It's just so encouraging, isn't it? It's like, did you hear anything I just said? <laughs> and she's like, this is awesome. I don't have to keep on coming back here. I don't know whether she was being earnest here. She was like going, oh wow, this guy can really, can really make my life such that I never need to. I don't know if she was being serious or if there's like a sarcasm here of like, okay, let's just play along with this. Like, you're weird. But okay, why don't you just give me some of this so I never need to, I don't know what it was. I, we can ask her in heaven. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. Like, oh, like boom, the situation radically changes. The conversation which had come, <laughs> yeah. oh, 
Jesus is putting his finger on a point of incredible pain for her. On incredible pain. It's like, it's the moment when her heart suddenly just stops and it's like, oh wow, that just happened. You just went there. Oh man. Oh man. It's like Jesus moves towards the points of our greatest pain, not away from them. I find I'm, I'm, uh, I really like people. I, I just love people. But I also find difficult moments sometimes tricky. And then I kind of like want to go, oh, well, let's back away. Jesus goes, no, no, I'm, I'm coming in there. And we'll see, like, you know, he puts his finger on there. And how does she respond? She goes like, I have no husband. Jesus knew that, but he lets her say it because it's like, I'm putting my finger on something. You're going to acknowledge it. And then he doesn't back away then. He goes, you're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. It's like, (laughs) Jesus doesn't let her off, does he? He doesn't just go, okay, we talked about that. Let's talk about something else. He goes, no, I'm going to drill down here because that which is most important important to what's going on here is very important to me. It's very important to me. So I'm going to put my finger on something and you're going to acknowledge it and then I'm going to tell you it's worse than you think. It's not just that you're, you don't have a husband. It's like you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. And this is, this is, this is a big deal. It was a big deal in this context because in this context where women were second-class citizens, to be a divorced woman would have carried the stigma, I've been cast off by my husband. I've been deserted by my husband. I couldn't satisfy my husband. I couldn't fulfill what I needed to for my husband. And perhaps even in our context, the stigma of divorce continues to cling to people. Maybe you go, man, it just feels like I'm living my life with this banner of divorce over my life. And, and it can cause enormous pain. And Jesus goes there and he goes right in there. And it's like, this didn't just happen once. This happened five times. Imagine, especially in this culture of the stigma of being cast off, I've been rejected. That happened once. Man, the pain. And then it happened again. And it happened again. And it happened again. And it happened again. And now I'm just living with a guy who wants probably sex from me and I get kind of some sort of protection being in his house. It's like Jesus is really going there. But this woman's sin, this this woman's stuff was on display. It was clear for people around her. But maybe stuff for us is not necessarily as visible. Some of us read this story and we go, man, I can relate to that. Maybe you moved to St. Louis out of a context and part of the reason you moved here is to get away from the stuff there. The people knew about you. And it's like, I got a fresh start. I just felt like there's maybe one or two people here. I didn't do this at the previous services, but I feel like there's one or two people here. That's kind of your story. And Jesus really cares about you. He really cares about you. Jesus knows. He goes there. He, he digs in. For some of us, it might be very clear that this is our reality. For others of us, it might be like, no, that's, I'm, not, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. That's not my stuff. Like, I've made some good decisions, you know, I've, I, I've avoided some of that stuff. That's not me. But, but this, woman's, this woman's stuff was a symptom of a deeper issue. 
This woman's stuff of having a pretty messed up relational background was the symptom of a deeper issue, and that deeper issue is the issue that every single one of us have. You see, all of us are like this woman. Some of us look at the, her life and go, oh, I can relate to that. That's, man, that's coming close. Last year in our church in, in Holland, we had a very, very painful thing happen at the end of the year where, where a leader completely messed up, and it was so painful. And, and we had to share it with the church, and this woman came, came to us afterwards, came up to me afterwards, and she said, what you spoke about, I was that woman. And, and it was a woman who'd been completely wronged. And I was like, but you had nothing to do with this. I don't understand. She's like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not saying I was literally the woman. She said, but I was that woman, and that that happened to me. And it was like, man, it kind of just really affected me going, Oh, wow. So you, you, may, you may go, man, that, that's the story of my life. And maybe some of you it's outward and visible. Maybe some of you it's invisible. As we're talking this morning, as we're examining Scripture, you're going, that stuff about anonymity and COVID, that's me. I got into some stuff that I'm deeply ashamed about, but, but it's like it's just there. And, and others might not know about it, but God knows. He sees. And I just feel like he's putting his finger on that. But, but whether it's visible or invisible or whether you go this morning, that's not my deal or whatever, the, at the root of it, those things are symptoms. At the root of it is the same for each one of us that in and of ourselves, we say, no, thanks God, I'll do it my own way. And the result of that, the fruit of that kind of saying, God, I don't need you. Even if we acknowledge him, I kind of know that you're there, but I don't need you. I don't, I don't put you first. I wanna do things my own way. The fruit of that is destruction for, for all of us. So the woman says, I can see that you're a prophet. Like, okay, you know some stuff. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Can we talk about something else? It's like, <laughs> I love this. This is so cool because I see myself in this too. Like a conversation starts going one way. Like, I'm feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Hey, can we talk about, hey, did you see the, the kind of, the, the Cardinals play this last week? I thought they played really well. I thought it was an excellent, like, we're not talking about that. We're talking about this. And it's like, we can bring out our religious pedigree at those moments. Well, I grew up in church. I remember the, yeah, you guys as Jews think that the temple should be here. And we Samaritans think that, it's like, okay, that might be interesting to talk about, but it's not what we're talking about now. And we can bring up this kind of distraction or, or religious heritage that, that kind of is about getting, getting the subject away from us because naturally we don't like our stuff being exposed, do we? We like the anonymity of being withdrawn. I don't want to have to face up to stuff. I definitely don't want others to see it. I don't want to have, I don't want to have an honest look within myself and, and acknowledge the junk that's going on. So I'm going to do what I can to just kind of cover it up. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in, spirit, in the spirit and in truth. Dear woman, you're missing the most important thing. It's not about 
this or that and where's the temple, these, these religious outgoing things, it's about what's happening in your heart, worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's not about these outward trappings and it's about your heart that I'm going for today. If you'd asked, we, Jesus says, if you'd asked, he would have given you living water. This sense of we don't get to God through getting all the theological debates and rules of do we do this or not. Do, we come to God simply by saying, God, I need you. I need you. I, if I'd asked, Jesus is saying, all you need to do is ask me. Anyone can ask. You don't need a PhD in theology to ask. You don't even need to be 100% there, kind of, I, I'm intelligent, I've got a all. No, man, you can be super simple. My IQ is very basic and limited. And my, my, but God, I can ask, please will you help me? Please will you help me? The woman said, I know that, you're, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one whom speak, who is speaking to you, am he. I'm, I'm here. Jesus, can we have the band up, please? We're going to uh, just worship and then just let allow God to, to work in our hearts after this. Jesus draws so close to us. Jesus knows what's going on. He's not freaked out by stuff. He's not repulsed by our mess. He comes closer in our mess. Just felt this morning, there, there are people among us, and, and this is all of us. There's no shame in this house. There's no like, oh man, this is just me, it's not others. No, it's, it's others. It's others. This is us. Like we come before God and we go, God, you love me so much that you don't leave my junk covered up, but you bring it to the surface so that you can deal with it and so that you can shine your light into my darkness and that you can bring life where there's been death. I've had some conversations with people recently where I've realized, man, you've been living with this pain for years and God wants to heal you. This morning, God wants to heal some of you. God wants to take it away. Maybe for some of you, it's about for the first time saying, God, I need you. I need you. I just need you to put a spring of living water in me. I need you to wash me clean. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus is here for you. Jesus is very close to you. Jesus is calling you like this woman to come to him. This woman ran away back to the town and said, come and see the, a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And it said many people believed because of her. And then they came and they, they said, Jesus, we, we've, heard you, we've heard what this woman said, but now we believe because we've seen it ourselves. God wants us to, to let this spill out onto others that they would see God themselves. Hey, let's stand up and worship Him. Lord Jesus, I pray for my dear friends. A few of them I know, most of them I don't know, but God, You know them. You care for them. You love them. And may Your Holy Spirit rest on them right now. Lord, may You come to us, even as You are already so close to us, and may You bring healing and restoration. May You bring forgiveness where we just need to acknowledge something and go, man, that's me, I need help. I need your healing. I need your forgiveness. Oh God, may, may you pour out this living water into every heart today, we pray.